If you do need to go home at any point, because we're having a longer meeting, I won't be offended. But uh, I... <laughs> Mark's off, right. Um, but I, I don't feel necessarily to shorten what I'm going to say. So I'm going to be talking on this subject, longing for God's presence. And we felt his presence here this morning, haven't we? Which is great. Presence of God. Um, I want to say a little disclaimer before I start, though. I'm not encouraging you to go chasing after experiences um, by themselves. You know, the Word of God is central to us, the Bible. The preaching of the Word is the the power of God to salvation. However, we do believe, do we not, that it's the Word and the Spirit. Just like um, you need uh, light and heat. Just like you need logic and fire. And it's easy to get so into the Bible that the Bible is absolutely, and I amen, the word of God. But you can sort of fall down the hole sometimes of ignoring what maybe God wants to do by his spirit. So I put that as a kind of disclaimer so you don't think I'm making you all run off and want weird experiences. The other thing I want to say is it's good to not despise the regular work of the church. Like when God doesn't particularly presence himself. The regular work of the Holy Spirit. Not to despise the day of small things. But I do believe God has a lot more for River Church. He wants to pour out his spirit on this church. I I feel almost this is a kind of a prophetic word. I will hesitate to say that, but I believe God wants to pour down his spirit afresh on River Church. He's already begun doing it, but I think it's almost like the first drops of rain. There's a whole downpour ready to come. And I believe that, and I'm going to say that prophetically, that that's what, at least that's in God's heart. And if we cooperate with him, maybe he will do that. Um, I want to just show you a picture of a rather stern-looking man, Jonathan Edwards. He was a revivalist in America in the 1730s, 1740s. And he said this, he said, We ought not to limit God where he has not limited himself. And some evangelical churches, and not knocking anyone, but they can be very, very Bible-based, and then the next hymn, the next thing, and it's quite hard for God to manifest his presence. To his felt presence. Um, now, I haven't got a lot of... The other disclaimer, I don't have a lot of experience of God's presence in power. I have one experience that I can think back to when I was down in Rora in a tent meeting years ago. I was in the tent, and you could feel God like on, absolutely in the room. It was absolutely the holiness of God. And I remember that at the end of the meeting, people couldn't move. They weren't hyped up, it was just God came down. I don't know if you believe God can come down. But he was in the meeting, I remember people holding hymn books, and they didn't move, God was there. And in that week, a woman shrieked and a devil came out of her on the chair. Now we don't see that very often, but I remember Mickey Wright running over and praying for her. And I remember coming out of that tent meeting, and my my mum said, because my mum and dad picked me up, they said, "Um, you... Unlike usual, you were grinning and your eyes were like a flame of fire. You were all on fire. I know Tim and Pete at boys camp once. I think it's true. They had a meeting where God really moved. I think that was when Pete came through to God. What I'm really trying to say is let's not quench the Holy Spirit. Let's leave room for God to move and believe he wants to do so. And I want to take you first to an Old Testament passage about God's presence in Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 to 3. Isaiah is praying for the country that's in a terrible state, and he has this cry. 
He says, oh, that you would tear open the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might flow down at your presence, as when the melting fire burns and fire causes the waters to boil, to make your name known to your enemies, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains flowed down at your presence. Notice the word oh. It's not a little oh. It's a oh. Oh God. It's a cry of a man who's thirsty and wanting God to come. And he don't want to let him go. A bit like this morning, Tony wouldn't let go of Tim. He was holding on to him. Like Jacob wouldn't let go of the angel. He said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I I believe God, the word this morning is not so much a practical word. It's more of a stir your heart word. He said, I want to stir you up. I want to make your mouth water for God to do more. It's like if I told you there's strawberries and cream out the back. You might start going, hmm. There isn't, by the way, but anyway. But I believe that God wants to pour his spirit out and drench, drench River Church in more of God. And it could be through the preaching of the word, but also through a blessing of his presence. Um, so there's the cry, oh, there's this tear open the heavens. In other words, it's sudden. You know, it's like bursting into a room. You rip open the curtains and there you are. It's God wants to come suddenly, like he did on Pentecost. He came suddenly. Suddenly God is there in a manifest, felt way. And this is what I love. Um, if this, does the red thing work? No. The mountains might flow down at your presence. Now, mountains in Scripture are pictures of things that never change. Did you know in Scripture there are three references to mountains? can't remember the exact verses. I think it's Genesis, Deuteronomy, Habakkuk. Mountains are called eternal. It says the eternal mountains and the everlasting hills. They're things that don't change. Whether it rains or doesn't rain, whether there's a hurricane force 10 gale or whether there is not, the mountains stay there. Whether it's sunny or not, whether the sun's hidden, it doesn't matter. The mountains stay there. The mountains are eternal. The mountains never change. They're always there. And I believe this is a picture of those things that oppose God that we think just can't change. Mountains of pride. Mountains of selfishness. Mountains of just disinterest and indifference to God. There are many people we know, we seek to reach them, and they're not really interested in God. It's like a mountain. It's always there. Do you know anyone who can melt a mountain? It says in Psalm 97, the mountains will melt like wax before the presence of the Lord. This is what God's been putting in my heart. I haven't got all this out of a sermon. I have bits of it from different people, bits of it myself. But God has put this in my heart that God wants to come down and do more. And we need to thirst for him to do more. There's more for River Church. He can melt mountains which are always there. Maybe you've got an unsaved relative. I think of my dad. Bless him, I love him. I hope he's not listening. Stubborn as a mule. He's like a mountain. 80, 85 now. Doesn't change. But God, if we cry out, God can melt the mountains by his presence. The other thing is, it says fire that melts. That's the King James Version. If you've got a different version, it will say twigs or something. But the King James Version talks about fire that melts. And I want you to think of a block of steel or a block of iron ore or a block of rock, you know, granite. Fire is so hot it can melt what is hard. 
Hardened, when God comes in revival, hardened sinners get saved. Hard people get saved. In, you know, in revival, three things happen. Christians wake up, hallelujah, <laughs> who've been asleep. Nominal Christians who are in the church get radically saved. And people who are hard get melted. Then it says, make the waters to boil. Well, that's just to me a picture of, it's no longer cold. You know, not lukewarm. There's no lukewarmness. There's no coldness. There's hot, it's hot testimony, hot prayers, hot word of God coming out of the meetings. The meetings, I've heard it said that in the old days, in the 70s, where I wasn't around, meetings were so hot, you either got in or got out. <laughs> God wants to be hot, not lukewarm. This is a challenge to my own heart. And then I love this phrase. It says, when you did awesome things which we did not expect, God is a God of grace. It doesn't depend how much you seek him. I mean, he wants us to seek him. In the Hebrides revival, they only actually prayed for a month and a half. Hard. And God did way beyond what they expected. God does more than you expect. It's not like you've got to pray 50,000 meetings and then God will do it. He'll do more than you expect. He's awesome. And the other thing is... um, This lovely phrase, you came down. God can come down. God's here, but he can come down in a stronger way. And I I think that when Isaiah wrote that, he was thinking back to Mount Sinai when God came down. Fire was on the mountain. Moses got the law. But he was also prophesying future to when God would come down in the book of Acts chapter 2. Uh, We're going to just turn to that. Tim has mentioned this today, and I'm glad he did, because some of what I'm going to say ties in with what Tim said. Um, In Acts chapter 2, we all know the Holy Spirit, God, God the Holy Spirit, he's not a force, he's God, God the Holy Spirit came down. Now that was a permanent giving, it was a statement of a new era of giving of God to people of the Spirit. Because in the past, the Holy Spirit could only equip people to be Samsons or Gideons. It could only equip people to be like a Moses. But it wouldn't live in them. God wouldn't live in them. Whereas now, a new era has come and the Holy Spirit has come down, is given to mankind. But that does not mean he cannot be poured out ever again. And this is what I want to get onto in a minute. Let's just read it though. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were of one heart together, all meeting in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now that kind of, you know, actually seeing tongues of fire won't happen again, I wouldn't imagine. Neither will you hear a a mushing, a, a rushing mighty wind again, because I believe it was very symbolic of a new era of God giving the Holy Spirit. But I really believe, and you can go and study this if you want, doesn't mean God doesn't pour his spirit out on the churches now. And I want to come on to that. Before we do, why does it say wind? 
I believe the wind is the breath of God, breathing life into people, like when he breathed life into Adam. He made Adam a living soul from being a dead old piece of dust. God put life in him, breathed life. That's what he does. He breathes life into people. And why is it so fire? Well, I think fire is simply a symbol of God's presence. You know, God's presence was in the bush of fire. God's presence was a pillar of cloud of fire. And God's presence came down on Mount Sinai as fire. It's saying God came down and was presenced among them. But I love this. When God pours his spirit out, look at the signs of a true move of God. And this is what Tim was saying. When God really moves, the things Tim was talking about start kicking off even more and more and more. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So there was a hunger for teaching. We're going to get some of that on Tuesday night. They devoted themselves to fellowship, which is what Mark has been saying to the church lately. The people wanted to be together. A, a sign of a true move of the Spirit is people want to be together, even if you know, they irritate you sometimes. <laughs> sure none of you irritate each other, <clears throat> except husbands and wives. But the point is, God, they want to be together. It's a spirit, it's, it's a sign, a true sign that God is moving when people want to be together in fellowship. And I know I've sometimes resisted that. A third thing, when God truly moves, we share food, it says, including the Lord's Supper. There's a sharing of food, which Tim mentioned. And fourthly, prayer. They pray. But there are other things in that passage which are not on there. One of them is that they shared everything they had. There's generosity. When God's spirit truly moves, there's generosity. There's also people getting saved every day or saved regularly. There's signs and wonders... I don't know what you think about that. And there's unity, singleness of heart and gladness. Do you want to see this kind of thing happen at River Church? Um, there are signs of his presence. And I just want to say this, that many churches only have one of those things. Some churches only have teaching. Some churches are Sunday morning only, thank you very much. That's not knocking anyone. I just know that when God, a true move of God, all these things start kicking off. Okay, let's uh, move on. You've got a very strange picture of a stomach there. That's a stomach on the... On the I'm going to try and explain. I just want to look at three reasons why we don't hunger for God to move. Because Tim's been talking about being hungry, Yeah? Three reasons why we don't hunger for his presence so much as maybe we ought. And one of the reasons, number one, is I believe this. Some evangelical teaching has taught that a fresh visitation from the Holy Spirit to a local church is unbiblical and no longer available. Therefore, it seems pointless praying for a fresh outpouring upon a church so we stop praying to God for revival. There is a theology that says the Holy Spirit was given once and for all in Acts chapter 2 and he cannot be poured out again. The only way you get the Holy Spirit today is when you believe in Jesus and he quietly comes in your heart. Now I believe that when you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in your heart. 
And it can be very, very quiet. But some people stop there and say that is all the Holy Spirit does now. He cannot be poured out again because that happened once. And, you know. But if you believe that teaching, that the only way the Holy Spirit can fill a person is to quietly believe and receive, it will take away your hunger for anything more. It will stop you seeking anything more. Because you think, well, my church has taught me it's just believe and receive. I've got Jesus. I'm happy now. I'm a Christian. Amen. And that's it. You, you don't hunger for anything else. Now, I'm not making you run after experiences, but I'm telling you, I believe God has more to pour out. And I can prove it through the Bible in a moment. And the effect of this is what has happened to this stomach. Now, it's a horrible picture, but that's a stomach where what they've done is they've done an operation on the stomach. It's called putting a silicon ring around the top of the stomach. And they give it to people who want to not eat so much. Because it stops you being hungry. If you put a ring around the top of your stomach, it's called bariatric surgery, not geriatric, bariatric surgery. It means that you don't get hungry. And the effect of this teaching that it's just believe and receive, that's it, amen, all done, is that you, why hunger for more of, why hunger for God to move when he can't? And the effect of it is, on the church, is what's happening in this other picture, which the Lord clearly gave me to say to you, that is a boat on the ocean in a place called the doldrums. Now, the doldrums is a place somewhere near the equator where there's no wind. And if you're a sailor, and you take your nice little sailing boat into the doldrums, and you get stuck in the doldrums, you can be there for weeks. You don't move. It's lovely for paddling. The ocean is flat as a pond. Look at that. That's the middle of the ocean. There's no wind blowing. And if you don't hunger for a move of God, you just tick along. But not a lot is happening. But it's wonderful when a sailor comes out of the doldrums into the strong wind and they don't have to do anything. God, it's like the wind just carries them. Um, I, I remember hearing Terry Watson, he came here last week, didn't he? Talking about when God moved at Elton. He said, we didn't have to do hardly anything. It was like, chain, we're like being, it's like a sailboat getting blasted along. Um, we were like, he said, I felt like I was running after God and couldn't keep up with what God was doing. There's no effort. I just want to hopefully whet your appetite that God can move more at river. Right, next. Um, I want to just prove from, from the Bible, without going on too long, why I believe God can pour the Spirit out afresh on local churches. The first phrase is found, it's this phrase in, in, you don't need to turn to it, in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, where Peter is preaching to the Jews who've seen the Holy Spirit come, and he says this. He's quoting the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my manservants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. Now, the question is, those days. It doesn't say day, it says days. And also, those signs did not all get fulfilled at that time. Dreams and visions. It wasn't all fulfilled at that time. 
So I believe, this is my, you can look at it and think about it, I believe we're living in the last days, are we not? Between, the last days, by the way, is when, between when Jesus died and when he's coming again. We're living in the last days. And there is a promise attached to the last days. And the promise is that God says, I will pour out my spirit. And I want to say, maybe there's a promise available to us. That God is willing to pour out his spirit in these last days in which we live. Another lovely verse is Acts chapter 3. I hope you're still with me. Verse uh, Verse 19 and 20. And this again, Peter is preaching to people that have been responding. And he says this, and this is a lovely promise, which I believe we should grab hold of. He says this, Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. And I believe that God has in store, in his heart, for River Church, times of refreshing, where he will send Jesus Christ, who's being preached amongst us. And what I mean by send Jesus Christ, I I I mean by the Holy Spirit. And I believe times of refreshing come from his presence, and what they do is, they wake us up to God, they draw in the unsaved without lots of effort without lots of evangelism although we need to do evangelism and it's the the word um, I think Bernard said this but I'll just say it the word refresh means resurrect it actually means times of resurrection it means times of your soul going up from the Jesus said didn't he I am the resurrection and the life so there's a promise I want you to not forget and the third little thing I just want to say generally, is in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was poured out once, twice, three times, four times. When Peter spoke in Cornelius' house, it says the Holy Spirit fell on them. When um, they met some disciples in Ephesus in Acts 19, it says they prayed for them, the Holy Spirit came, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And one little thing Acts chapter 4, this is a great one. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, there were some people there, Peter and John, who'd already been filled with the Holy Spirit before. And they're praying to have boldness. And God comes again. God didn't say, oh, well, I've been poured out at the beginning, you know, you can't have any more. He came again, and it says in Acts 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke the word with boldness. And they also did signs and wonders. Here's a thought for you. Natural thought. How often does it rain? (laughs) Does it rain just once? In January the 1st. Not in England. Especially in Cornwall where I've just been. It rains and rains. Now I believe that. I mean you could say I'm being a weird heretic. But I believe the fact it rains regularly is a picture of God's heart for blessing. And even the blessing of the Spirit. It doesn't just rain once and that's your lot, pal. Otherwise you're living in a desert. Right. Um, the other thing, just to prove that I believe God wants to pour his spirit out, is lessons from history. I don't know if you read any church history. Um, there was a thing called the Great Awakening in America in the 1730s. 
There was a man called George Whitfield. Some of you have heard of him. I've said this here before, but he was once preaching in a place called Cheltenham. It might have been in America, New Cheltenham or somewhere, but he was preaching in this place called Cheltenham. And he said it was a good service, everything was going hunky-dory, he was preaching, and then suddenly he said, God the Lord came down amongst us. And there were people weeping. He said all the colliers, they were just weeping. God the Lord came down amongst us. I mean, do we believe that can happen? But the key is to seek God, of course, not an experience. But I believe God has more for us. And the other thing, that one, the revival in the Scottish Hebrides, 1949 to 1952. Now that island, those islands, has anyone been there, by the way? It's quite far away. (laughs) But those people, they believed in a God of revival and they believed in a God of outpouring and they prayed for it. And they actually quoted promises back in God's face. They quoted Old Testament promises. They said, it says in Isaiah 44, I will pour water on he who is thirsty. So these old ladies would go, okay, Lord, you say you're going to pour water on people who are thirsty. Well, we're thirsty, so where's the water? And God moved. Now, people don't know this, but in the Hebrides, there were tons of revivals. There was one, showing off my knowledge, there was one in 1828... In fact, there were more than one in the 1820s. There was one in 1839. There was one in 1913 before World War I started. There was one in 1939 before World War II started. And some of the people that got saved were then killed in the war. There was this big one in 1949. And then there was another one in 1957. Now you say, why was God visiting that place so often? Well, there were two reasons. One is they, they did teach the Bible in, in schools. People had some scripture. But the main reason was they really believed God wanted to do these sorts of things. And so they pleaded with him. Let me just read to you a lovely story um, from a, one of the prayer warriors called Peggy Smith. Um, she spoke to this minister. There was a, there was a reverend, uh, he's called, very really Scottish name, Reverend Mackay. Reverend Mackay, he went there and he said, hey, hey, nothing's happening. All these young people and none in the churches. Not a single one of them. Hey, it's quite good preaching in Scottish. I might do this more often. <laughs> no, young people. What are we going to do? And this woman said to him, she said, Mr. Mackay, I'm sure that you're longing to see God working. How about calling all your church leaders together? How about suggesting that they spend two nights all night each week waiting on God in prayer? You've tried everything. You've tried mission. You've tried special evangelists. But Mr. Mackay, have you tried God? Have you tried God? That that spoke to me. Have you tried God? And so they they basically got down and prayed two nights a a week, Tuesdays and Fridays from 10 p.m. till 4 a.m. I mean, that's hard, isn't it? But they did it for about a month and a half. Uh, in two different places and they pleaded with God and just waited on God and they got right with God and they repented of sins and waited and waited and then suddenly at 4am in November 1949 God began to move I'm just going to read to you a little bit from that revival just to whet your appetite if that's alright won't take too long it says in the Hebrides in 1949 there was an incredibly deep work of the Holy Spirit 
in which the awareness of the presence of a holy God was so overwhelming. The fear of God and the conviction of sin was so great that in a matter of hours or even minutes, church buildings that were empty became crowded without any advertising or any information being given out. Hundreds of men and women were crying out to God for mercy before they even got near a church. Hundreds of people's lives were radically and permanently altered. Whole communities were changed. Rarely, if ever, in the history of the world has such an outstanding work been witnessed. God stepped down. You met God on meadow and moorland. You met him in the homes of the people. God seemed to be everywhere. People who'd gone to bed for the night had all got back up again. In one village, all the lights were seen on in all the houses. Everyone was under tremendous conviction of sin in the presence of God. During the night, 700 people gathered around a church waiting for a preacher to turn up. They were moved by a power they could not explain, making them realize that they were deserving of hell and sinners. The headmaster of a secondary school was seen lying in a field with his face on the ground, crying to God for mercy, deeply convicted of his desperate need. Next to him were four schoolgirls from his school who kept saying to him, Sir, Jesus, who saved us last night, can save you too. This kind of thing was seen regularly for three years. I mean, that is exceptional. But I just want to show you what God can do. Okay. Um, just, I won't be too much longer. The second point I want to make about why we don't always hunger for more of God is this. We're happy and content with what we know. I wanted to get Daniela in here to demonstrate this, but I think by the time she's arrived, it'll be too late. But just imagine, God is like the dad. We are like the child. We're happy. We're holding his hand. He's our daddy. We're content. We know he loves us. Amen. And that's the standard experience of a Christian. I know Jesus. I'm happy. But look, but look at this picture here. Look at that picture there. Imagine this child is being walked along with the dad and then suddenly, for some unknown reason, um, Mark, can you come up here? I'm going to use you. Can you imagine Mark as a child? Come on, hold your hand. He's walking along. I'm the dad. He's the child. He knows he's loved. He knows I'm his dad. Then suddenly, for some unknown reason, I grab him and I'm like, and I kiss him. Oh, and I kiss him. I won't actually do that. There you are. I kiss him and I embrace him. Now and then I put him back down again. Now, how does he feel now? The point I'm trying to make is, he knew he was a Christian before, but now he's had a close, intimate experience, and he feels so assured. I know God loves me. And what God, um, what um, Martin Lloyd Jones actually said this. He said. The greatest need in many churches is Christian people who are fully assured of their salvation. You know, the sense of the power and presence of God that they've not known before 
is the greatest form of assurance, a fresh manifestation of God to the soul, overwhelming knowledge that God really loves you. I know of a man, by the way, just to round this off, I know of a man this happened to, he just had a fresh experience of God, and do you know what he did? He was in the middle of a field. God fell on him, and he went and kissed a cow. <laughs> How weird is that? He kissed a cow. He was so full of joy, he went and kissed the cow in the field. He was overflowing with love. Now, I'm not making a theology of this. I believe you can come to the Lord quietly, like my wife. She had never got zapped like that yet. <clears throat> but you can come with a zap. But the point is, all I'm trying to get across to you is there is more in God for us. Um, George Santa, does any of you know him? Oh, no, he's dead now, isn't he? But <laughs> George Santa, he once had an experience of God's closeness, and he, he told the Lord, he said, Lord, if you don't stop, I'm going to die. It was so powerful. Anyway, moving on to the last point. This is another reason why we won't always maybe pray for revival and hunger for things. It's because we believe in the word. It's kind of what I said earlier. We rightly believe in the preached word of the Bible and the gospel, and it is the only power of God to salvation. So we feel we are betraying this if we pray for extra stuff like his presence or signs and wonders. I mean, the truth is this. A sign or a wonder cannot save you. A sign or a wonder cannot change you. A miracle cannot change a person. Only the gospel of Jesus and Jesus' word can change a man. But, if God's moving and there's signs and wonders, it can make people sit up and listen. It can give it a hearing. And I have this little picture the Lord gave to me. I didn't get this from anywhere else. So if you think it's... Uh, well, it just came to me. Anyway, that jewel is the word of God. It's the word. We need the word of God. It's like the jewel. But to get signs and wonders, to get the presence of the Lord moving, it's a bit like putting the jewel inside a setting and it enhances the preached word. If I preach on healing, and then someone gets, Joel, if Joel's got a leg that's falling off, and I preach on healing, and then his leg suddenly grows back, I mean, if anyone's visiting, they're going to go, wow, they are going to sit up and listen. Now, it's true, we mustn't just lust after signs, because Jesus said, an evil and adulterous nation, uh, generation, they're looking for signs. We're not going to lust after them. But I believe we should just be open to God and seek God and be open that he might want to do these sorts of things in the future. And finally, my last point, and I shall then close. Why does River Church need more of God and his presence and a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Why? And this is a geography thing. Here's a river before it's flooded. It's nice, it's all kept within its boundaries. But when there's a lot of rain, when there's an outpouring, the thing overflows its banks and goes up there, washes away other stuff, it expands. And I believe that we're called River Church. And if God wants to make us more effective in witness, more effective in the area, he's got to pour out a lot more rain into the river. To make us, because basically if a revival comes, you're just going to be so keen on Jesus, people can't shut you up. Now I know Richard over there is a good evangelist, I've heard from your brother. But if the spirit fell on you afresh, you'd be even twice as effective. And this is the picture, all the big rivers in the world, the arterial rivers like the Ganges or 
what are they called? Mississippi. All these rivers, they're only big because a lot of rain fell on them. And here endeth the sermon. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. But um, I just want to finish you with an Old Testament promise. Then we'll close. Then we're going to sing a song, and then I just want you to respond however you want. I'm not going to tell you how to respond, but I just want to read to you this little verse in the Old Testament. Um, It says, ask for the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Now, you can say, well, that was for the Old Testament. Yes, it was. But often there are secrets in Scripture. Ask for the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. Let him, I believe God wants to pour his spirit out. That's what I felt to bring to you. When, I don't know, it might be next week, it might be in a year, but let's not think God does not do this sort of stuff. Um, All right, amen, I think I'll finish there. We'll ask the band to come up and I'd like you to sing, please.